Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And if you've been listening over the last couple of months, we've been doing a weekly series called Future Ready um, in relationship to the book that we had to do. We had the opportunity to do some research on is called Future Ready Innovative Missions and Models in Christian Education, where we had the opportunity to visit 11 schools throughout the country to dig deeper on issues of innovation, sustainability, and accessibility in Christian schools in particular. And today I'm with the head of school at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy, Dean Nicholas. And Dean, I'm just going to jump in because your school led us to so many interesting discoveries along the way. But what I would love to hear from you is what was through this process of maybe, you know, as you reflect on it, what was a discovery that you made as we kind of entered into this kind of discovery process with you? Yeah, that that's a great question. And Eric, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I always tell people that uh, as head of school, as a principal, my best days are actually when people come to visit. Uh, because in leadership roles, your job is sometimes it feels like 95% of your job is fixing problems. And the world you see is that of constant problems. And then you show someone around and you're like, wow, this place actually isn't half bad. So uh, for me, it was a really invigorating uh, visit to just kind of go top to bottom through uh, our institution and see through others' eyes what's really special about the place. And so a few things that really hit me going through that process and that uh, I've actually uh, used to motivate folks internally uh, one was being back at one of my favorite places at our school is the Arm Leader Campus, uh, which is a pre-K to six uh, campus downtown, right in the heart of our city in a historic uh, building in Cincinnati. The rest of the school, the other three campuses are the Northeast suburbs, uh, but Arm Leader is a, a, an urban campus. It functions on a different financial model. It's driven, uh, it, 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 it functions on a large endowment uh, through very generous donors. And so there's a sliding uh, scale tuition. And uh, it is such a special place and it's 85% uh, diverse. And the kind of innovative things happening there in the heart of the city of Cincinnati, uh, I remember the team when they saw it, they said, how come this place isn't totally full with waiting lists? Which made me look at it and go like, yeah, why isn't this place totally full with waiting lists? And uh, we, we've begun talking about how do we make this place, how do we put it on the map? Because uh, so many people would say when we show them Arm Leader, they'd say, wow, this is a hidden gem, which for a while, you know, we we would take as a, as a compliment because it was called a gem. And I said, from now on, that should make us mad because they're calling it hidden. Everyone should know this. And uh, actually, in uh three, four different grades this year. We actually do have waiting lists uh, and we are close to filling up. So that was one thing that was really exciting. Uh, the other thing that just struck me, and again, it's one of those things I know, but by by going through the process just became even more true is I find that great things in schools happen because of innovative impact players that you give space to do it. And so every great program here, every great uh, uh, thing that happens, it's because of really uh, innovative, adventurous, enthusiastic people follow their passions. And I feel like my greatest job as a leader sometimes 
is like a good baseball manager who knows how to get out of the way and say, let players play. And so for me, that was, again, going through this process with you all and seeing some of those really special people in our institution. I know you just talked to one, uh, Stephen Carter. It's like, how do I find ways to keep him excited, encouraged, and empowered? Well, and, and I think if I could sit on that for a little bit and then come back to Arm Leader in a little bit, but um, you know, just sit on that idea because one of the things that we found in the book and in the research was that that the schools truly invested in people, right? There was a, a significant investment in people. And Stephen in his podcast, you know, he he gave you all the compliments for seeing in him, I think, you know, going from English teacher to, you know, entrepreneurship and innovation and all those types of things. He gave you credit for seeing that in him. But then he also gave you credit for seeing opportunities that other people didn't see. And so when you think about being a leader and like that baseball manager, which, you know, sings to my soul as a baseball guy, um, <laughs> you know, how do you think about and 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 work out those details? Because so much of the education profession is about shortages and what we don't have and all these types of things. How do you make the most of what you have? And then how do you have an imagination for your people that maybe they don't even have for themselves. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. And um, let, let me put it this way: I, I come to it probably with a different vantage point, simply because I never thought I would be working in K to twelve education. I I was going to be uh, a professor. Um, I was studying at Hebrew Union College. Um, to be a Hebrew Bible, an ancient Near East scholar, to go teach somewhere. And my wife was teaching at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy to put me through school. And so um, this sounds terrible, but it, it this was kind of like, a, I don't want to say a lark because it was very intentional. I, I heard all my friends saying I was young, inexperienced, classmates saying, you're not going to find a tenured track job. So uh, you better get some teaching experience in publication. So teaching high school Bible was going to be a one-year job for me so I could put a line on my CV and go get my real job. Um, that was now 27 years ago. Um, and I and I found the place so exciting and dynamic, and, and it's been an incredible uh, place for me to learn and grow and become. But because of that, people would sometimes look at me and go, well, you don't fit. Like, you don't have teacher education. And I remember when I became principal, I had a colleague that was a good friend. When you go from teacher to principal and then principal to head of school, you keep moving on this ladder and your, your friends and colleagues, then you become supervisor, which is a whole nother topic. But I remember a, someone I would call a friend and a colleague um, say, I made a comment. Like, I know some people think, you know, I'm not really qualified to do this job because I don't have traditional education training. And she said, yeah, I'm one of those people. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. Um, but we had a saying when I headed the Christian studies department um, that we never wanted to hire someone who actually wanted the job. We said we wanted to look for people who could never imagine that they would be teaching Christian studies in a Christian high school. We wanted people who thought, why would I do that? And so sometimes um, in education, and this is what I like about being in an independent school is that we have the ability to be creative when you see the kind of gifts and talents, uh, communication skills, passion, 
a relational connection with people and you go, that person would make a great teacher or that person could move into this field, even though it doesn't have to go through some of the traditional hoops. And so Steven's a perfect example of that. Seeing a person that you're like, yeah, he he was, and I'll just say that he's an incredible English teacher, but seeing what else he was passionate about and seeing what he could do, um, there's a whole bunch of people in this institution. And I think it's one of the things that makes it special who never in a million years thought they'd be working in a place like this. And so as a leader, I feel like it's my job to always try to see uh, hidden gifts and talents in people here. And then when I encounter people not here that I think, but what would happen if we could add a person like that? I love that. And so then once you is once you get them there, I think one of the interesting things that that I found out about your school through the research was kind of the if I, I in correct me if I phrase it wrong, but the teacher innovation fund. Yes. Right. And so one of the things that I think is really interesting is like we talk a lot about the tech companies and how they will fund side projects or they'll fund like innovation projects within their companies. You've taken to doing that with your teachers when they have an idea or something that they think would be interesting to pursue. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And then like, you, yeah. and then even just some of the encouragement for a school, depending on the finances that they have to even start small. Right, right. And I, I will um, give credit on this. This goes back to um, the last um, building campaign as a capital campaign. And uh, my predecessor, Randy Brunk, um, put as part of the campaign a, a $1.2 million uh, uh, innovation, teacher innovation fund. And so, um, you know, how do you, how do you attract, keep, compensate great educators? Um, we all have that same problem of, yeah, we don't have money to do it. And so how do you try to compete uh, one of the things we know, particularly people in education, is ultimately they, they need to be able to make a living wage, but they're ultimately not driven um, by money most times. But uh, again, they need to be able to make a living, but but it's the other things that drive them. And so the beauty of the Teacher Innovation Fund is that uh, a teacher can come up with an innovative idea, uh, write up a proposal for the grant to say, here's what um, you know, I would propose that I could do if only, right? If I had this kind of money, this is the kind of program or a kind of innovation or a, a, a class or an experience I could create. Uh, it goes to a panel, uh, a committee, and then they decide. And, and we've been, uh, I don't know what the final number is right now, but a lot of that 1.2 million has been given uh, to teachers to fund projects. And so, uh, Stephen Carter has become the master of it. Someone's like, hey, how do I put together the right kind of language for a grant? I'm like, talk to Stephen. He's doing it all the time. Uh, I personally have used it around our theological integration cohort, where, again, we, we have teachers who are helping now teach and train other teachers in theological integration. And part of that two-year training experience is uh, they all got to go on a trip with me to the Holy Land and learn uh, on site about Bible and, and you know, uh, geography and people of the land uh, could never come up with money to do that other than through something like the teacher innovation grant. And so uh, to, to school heads, to school boards who are thinking around funding models, uh, even if it's the smart start small, finding a way uh, to create 
pools of money um, to let people actually live out their innovative ideas, uh, I think is really exciting because when you get a chance to do that, um, there's a level of, of, again, engagement, excitement, fulfillment. And once you start, uh, those teachers start to dream, well, if I could do that, what if? And then even if for all the wrong reasons, other teachers see teachers getting these great opportunities who then, hey, I want to do something like that. It's like, it's out there. Dream, do it, go. So so one of the things that you mentioned is that, you know, like a lot of times you enjoy when people come visit because then you see the place through their eyes. But as a school leader, I'm just wondering, like with some of these things, what would you say to another school leader? Like what would what would be your encouragement or how do you even get, you know, restore your imagination for Cincinnati Hills for the community, for the bigger picture with Arm Leader, and maybe even beyond that. Like, how do you, you know, continue to 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 respark your imagination for the work? Yeah, for me, um, it's through school visits. Uh, I try try to take um, multiple visits a year. Uh, great schools that I've heard about, that I've met people. Um, because it, it allows me to, you do this great comparison of like, and then sometimes things you would have never even thought of before. So I was just up at a, at um, Isaacs, which is our accrediting uh, um, organization. And they had their, their national meeting uh, or regional meeting rather up in uh, Minneapolis. And I got the Minnehaha Academy. Uh, anytime I go anywhere, I try to see a school. So, uh, and I had a great opportunity, which, uh, uh, I actually wrote a piece on, um, I had a, an experience at the beginning of the year that was a different kind of school visit. Uh, I went and uh, visited some schools through uh, a ministry called Back to Back that they had, one, they had started, and two, they were sponsoring in Hyderabad, India. And um, thinking about the possibilities of how do we connect globally with uh, Christian schools around the world uh, and challenging to say, what are the things that we take for granted here uh, in our setting, but to see what people are doing with a lot less. Saw two just powerful schools uh, in the slums of Hyderabad and one uh, on the campus of a children's home. And it just, it was inspiring and thinking if you put a school then in the primarily in the suburbs of upper middle class United States, uh, and I see what they're doing with so little, what could and should we be doing as a school? So so let's bring it full circle back to, you know, kind of something, the arm leader that you mentioned that we highlight in the book as well. Um, in, in a number of schools like yours, right? You know, I've, I've kind of said, hey, how do we expand our impact and how do we create greater accessibility um, you talked about arm leader and then just the the opportunity where you've gotten you know creative with you know the tuition pricing mm -hmm. but but what's the what's the hope or what's the desire as you think about that experience in India as well as the local experience to be able to you know take a school like yours that has significant resources in a great community and has been incredibly you know supported encouraged by an incredible community like, what's the way that that you're looking at some of this and saying, hey, you know, whether it's Hyderabad, India, or whether it's, you know, the the the, the urban center of Cincinnati, or it's the larger community of Ohio, 
how does that play out, you know, for you and for your community as you kind of step into these next few years? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, <laughs> and I, I could talk about that for a long time because I, I've been really challenged um, as a school leader about Christian education uh, as a whole. Uh, and in my community, I've been talking about something I've been calling Christian school 3.0. Um, and I think there is a possibility, um, for us to take approaches that radically turn, uh, what we currently think of as our, as our school model on its head. And so, uh, I think if, if we're going to be a fully Christ-centered, gospel-centered kind of Christian education, we see Jesus, um, whose ministry ultimately centers on the least of these, on the people on the margins, on the, the right, he keeps talking about it's for the sick, not for the well. Uh, and I think of most schools like ours, uh, and they tend to be for um, what we look at in society and say, those are the well, right? It's the Western American, upper middle class, upper class, uh, predominantly white suburban Christian opportunities. And so I'm thinking about what does it look like to actually take CHC education and create accessibility around the world? Uh, I want to think about what does it look like for someone in a place uh, like Haiti or in a children's home in a third world country to get a world-class Christian education which could not just change an individual's life and a family's life, but communities and villages. And to see that in a, in a gospel kingdom centered kind of way, it starts doing shalom building uh, all around the world. And uh, I think through different kinds of innovative approaches, both through the technological opportunities we have today, as we start to think creatively about funding models, um, I think there's a way to do that. And I, I would love to see Christian schools being the ones leading the way in that. Um, because it's it should be at the center of our mission of what we believe we're called to do. And so uh, that's something I've been uh, kind of thinking about and working on. And um, yeah. Oh, no, that's well, I mean, I think it's it's I mean, I think it's the center of, you know, a lot of what we're trying to even discover in this project. Yeah. Um, And and I'm appreciative that you'd open your doors and let us learn from you and with you um, in that journey. And I'm all in for those conversations. Well, so I appreciate anyway, I can help. I'm in when when um, when COVID happened and. um we were at that point where we realized uh, we were going into spring break like many schools were. And that when we came back, we were going to have to do something very different. Um, we sent out a letter to all of our community. And and I, I had been thinking about kind of where, where Christian education um, could and should go. And again, it's two years ago now, but I, I saw this as, as these pieces coming together. And it's really interesting because for people reading in education, um, for decades, we would see these reports that would say, by 2020, schools will this. By 2020, schools will that. And for the most part, schools in 2019 looked a lot like schools in 90, 1990, right? And they never actually did it. There's technology to do it. And all of a sudden, the pandemic forced everyone's hand. And I, and I said in the letter that I sent to our community, that 
we shouldn't just look at what we're about to do as some kind of band-aid. And, and again, in my short-sightedness, not knowing what was coming as a band-aid to get through the next two weeks. I actually, that's in writings, right? That shows how much I didn't know it was coming, but so just as a band-aid to get through the next two weeks, but this is an opportunity for us to learn and grow in ways that God can help us create access and opportunity beyond what we could imagine. And um, by having to do it for the rest of a semester, uh, and to some degree over the next year, I, I, it, it began working certain muscles uh, in giving us ways to think um, about what education could be. And so if I can, if I can educate someone uh, in their bedroom, you know, five miles away from campus who can't come to school because of COVID, um, why can't we do all kinds of things all around the world and in ways that look better than what we did during COVID? So that's kind of the area in which I'm kind of dreaming and vision casting and thinking about what's next. Well, Dean, I'm super excited to hear about what's next and what you dream up. So thank you for, for joining me today and thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.